There is so much more to discover in God's presence. Do you know that? How many of you... I'm, not gonna, I'm only going to ask one question at this point. Not going to ask a series. How many of you have been a Christian for 20 or more years? Okay. Keep your hands up if you still believe there's more to discover of God. Okay, thank you. You put your hands down. There's so much more. And we're a church who love to experience God's presence. We... we delight in taking time with God and we want to do that more and more to take time to be in God's presence to experience him and encounter him and it's not about the moment it's not about feeling good in a moment it's it's about being with the one who made us who created us it's about being transformed because when we're in God's presence he reveals himself to us and we're changed as a result and as we're changed we resemble Jesus more and as we resemble Jesus more we bring glory to God more and and it all kind of works Alan could you put the first slide up please we love these times in God's presence and I want to speak exactly about this today I didn't know how the service was going to go this morning but I want to talk about those times in scripture and one particular one but those times in the Bible where God just takes it up a notch in revealing himself to people. Because uh, I believe that we're a group of folk who want to see God take it up a notch in terms of what we see and understand. And we want the whole world to, to have a greater revelation of who God is and what he can do in their lives. Today I'm going to speak from an unusual passage. It would have been easy to gloss over this. I've been speaking a bit from Luke's gospel. This is the next bit in Luke's story of Jesus. It would have been very easy to pass by. In fact, I tried to and thought I could skip over this one because it's. I like to try and share something with a practical application on Monday. And this isn't you know, kind of so that you can hear the word on Sunday and we can apply it Monday onwards. And when you first read this passage, it doesn't immediately strike you, and don't start looking for one, but it doesn't immediately strike you that there's a kind of practical application. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 9. And the story is in verse 28, if you've got a Bible with you, or an app you're turning to. The words will be on the screen this time for this one. And uh, we're going to have a look at a passage which is quite interesting. Because I'm going to speak today about Jesus and God's glory. It says this. About eight days after Jesus said this. Hang on, just you haven't got the rest of it, have you? Jesus has just... Okay, Jesus has fed the 5,000. I'll go back one. He sent out 12 disciples. Jesus has got 12 disciples. He sent them out on mission. They've come back, told them how they got on. He's fed 5,000 people who've come around to listen. They've gone away again. Peter has said to Jesus that he thinks he's the Messiah, the sent one of of Israel, the the, the one that had been promised for hundreds of years. And Peter's made this, this kind of observation. He's had this revelation of who Jesus is. And then Jesus immediately starts predicting his death. He hasn't predicted his death up until then. He waits until Peter and the other disciples have a clue about who he is. And then he says, right, I'm going to die. Kind of a bit of a juxtaposition, that one, isn't it? Where you, where you just reveal that Jesus is the Son of God and then suddenly you've just heard that he's going to die. So that's the situation we're in. And, and that's the little bit that's just happened immediately before we get to this passage. So Jesus just told them about what's going to happen when he comes back in glory having died. 
So about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving him, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. There's loads of passages in the New Testament, loads of passages in the Gospels where Jesus is telling a story and we kind of get the bits of the story and we can relate to them. There's loads of other times when he's talking about forgiveness or anger or lust or all sorts of issues and we can relate to those. But this passage seems a little bit distant. Is that fair to say? Three people with Jesus up a mountain see this incredible sight. And we're sitting here in Tunbridge Wells. We can go to the local rocks and stand there and sit on top. And none of us have seen this in this way because it only happened on this occasion to these guys and Jesus was physically transfigured. And so there's a, there's a gap of thousands of years and there's a gap of experience between us and this story. To immediately get over. But I think this story has incredible things to teach us and show us today. And I think it's important to see that it comes in a long line of similar but very different occasions when God is showing himself to his people. And that starts in creation. In the very beginning of the Bible, the, the, the Bible tells us of how God created the world. It tells us that everything that is around us was created by God. It tells us that we're not accidental. It tells us that we're not only a product of some process that happened outside of God, but that actually God chose to create. And not only did God choose to create as someone kind of distant and far away, but God chose to create as someone who was close to his creation. Who entered into his creation. Uh, and this is at a point, Genesis 3 verse 8, just when man and woman, the first man and woman have sinned and gone away from God. They've turned away. They've gone. Sin just means that we're putting ourselves first. And they've chosen to do their own thing and put themselves first above what God wanted. And right at that moment, when you'd expect that God would be far away, tutting, frowning, folding his arms and saying, I told you so. Actually, we find God walking with them. And he's walking in the garden of Eden at the cool of the day. In the very time when you expect God to be far away, he's coming close and giving a potential glimpse of his glory. The next, one of the next stories we see is a guy called Moses who led the nation of Israel. And they'd been slaves in Egypt. They'd ended up in Egypt uh, for generations. And they'd been slaves there until God says, I've heard the cry of my people. 
And God spoke to Moses and told him to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses had a few encounters. There's a famous one with a burning bush. And there's a few different things that God did. But there's one particular occasion when God had spoken to Moses up a mountain and had just been giving him the law that he was to take down to the people. The Ten Commandments, Moses had got those. He'd come down the mountain, seen that the people had already abandoned God, so he smashed the Ten Commandments, went back up and got another set, and then came back down again. And the story goes that he came down to the people in Exodus 34, and it says this, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He's been up on a mountain experiencing God and suddenly he comes down his face is shining. Now this isn't just some kind of tan gone wrong. His face is glowing. And it actually says that he came down the mountain and people were scared. The people were fearful because such is the awe and reverence that the presence of God is held in, in the Old Testament time particularly. Where few people see God, but when you do, it's quite powerful and overwhelming and Moses' face is shining. The Bible tells us that he had to cover his face with a veil because people were scared of this incredible encounter. And, and this kind of story happens a lot around this Exodus occasion. We read of the people of Israel being led out of Egypt by a pillar of cloud in the daytime. Or a pillar of fire at night. As God is leading them out. We read about the ark. Uh, not Noah's ark, which is a big boat. But a, a same word, but a different meaning. Uh, the ark of the covenant, which is basically a box that's carried by priests. And the box contains some very important things for the nation of Israel. And it represents God's presence. And so around the, the ark of the covenant, there's this, this whole kind of story that unfolds about the power of God's presence. And the ark is brought into something called a tabernacle, which is a big tent, like a great big marquee. But a, kind of it's, it represents, again, the presence and, and power of God. And eventually that becomes a temple, which is built when the people have a f permanent place to stay, stay. But when the tabernacle is there and the ark is in the tabernacle, this is amazing. And there's awe and reverence and wonder around this, this tabernacle and this, this kind of big marquee thing with the ark inside. And... And God is, God's presence is, is palpable at key moments in Israel's history. A little bit later on, they do build a temple. And as, uh, it's a guy called King Solomon who builds it. Not him personally, but he pays to have it built. And thousands of other people build it. And this great big temple is built. And Solomon is praying in the temple. Uh, and it says this, when Solomon finished praying, the fire came down from heaven. And consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of God filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. What would that be like? You know, you turn up to church one day. And you're on a rotor. You're in the worship team and you're here at 8 o'clock. <clears throat> to get ready. And Steve and the team come in this morning, uh, and as they come in, they can't get in. Key's working, code on the door works, they can get into the building physically, but they just can't get in. Because God's presence there, and it's so thick and weighty. 
and awesome. And then we all turn up and we're not going anywhere because God's presence is there in such power. That's, that's the kind of story here. And it's the priests, the one who'd been specially chosen to go into the temple that can't get in. Just because the glory of God. We read later on of the prophets in the Old Testament. And one of them, a guy called Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, he says, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple again. Another picture around the temple, linked to the tabernacle, linked to the ark, linked to the covenant, linked to the promise, linked to the commands, linked to Moses, and his face shining, linked to the presence of God walking in the garden. And again and again, we get this sense of God revealing himself through the pages of the Bible. He's making himself known. If ever you've said, God, where are you? Where are you? It's a great question to ask. But a great follow-up is to dive into this. To, to start with one of the gospel stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They're about two-thirds of the way through if you've got a whole Bible. Because the rest of it's the run-up to that point. And then these start telling us the story of Jesus. And the reason that's a great place to start is because Jesus fulfills and personifies all that's gone before. All the glimpses of glory that we get up to that point are represented in Jesus. Not just for one or two to see, but for all. And in Jesus, God makes himself known. God has always wanted people to know him. Always wanted us to come to know him. He's never wanted us to be distant. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants every single person to know him and to be alive in his presence. The Bible even says that creation points to God. You've heard that saying, haven't you? That you feel nearer to God in the garden, some people say. Uh, maybe that's just because the phone doesn't ring. Maybe it's because the jobs don't need doing, so, or maybe they do if it's my garden. Um, and you're not distracted by all the things that need doing. But there is a sense that, and it's clear in Romans, that God's presence is seen in creation. And it really is. You can, you can see more of God through creation, the wonder of creation. But, but we need Jesus still to show us magnificently more of God's presence. John's Gospel, I don't think I've got the words on the screen, but John's Gospel starts with a wonderful passage about who Jesus is. And it starts off telling us about the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Wow! You know, some people have a story of seeing angels. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm sure there'll be people here who, who have had, had an encounter with an angel and they've seen an angel or they've seen something amazing happen. But there's a passage in Philippians which Paul writes, which who's one of the early Christian teachers and leaders, who, who says that when God is exalted... Well, Jesus is exalted to the highest place and he's been given a name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's one who is greater than any spiritual experience you can have. 
There's one, if you've seen an angel, that's fabulous. But they're pointing to Jesus. They're pointing to the one who it's all about. They're pointing to the one at whom every knee bows. And everyone will say one day, Jesus, you're the Lord of all. The sad truth is that even when God, the other thing people say is this, that, well, I wish God would just turn up and show me then. Why doesn't he just come and show me? If he loves me that much, if he cares that much, why? And the sad truth is this, that even when he does, we don't recognize him. This is what it said of Jesus in the flesh, in person. That same passage about him being the light of the world. The true light, John 1 verse 9, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And we often think, well, wouldn't it be great if Jesus were back today and people would pass him in the street and not notice? Jesus would teach and people would scoff and ignore him. He would heal people and some would be excited and others would ridicule because even when God shows up, people don't recognize him. And he comes and he makes himself known and people don't see it. But the encouraging thing is that there's more to see in God. There's so much more to see. I love the fact that God keeps doing something new. And these, these stories I traced from Genesis and creation through to Isaiah and then on to Jesus, God is bringing more and more revelation. He's showing us more of himself and he hasn't finished yet. It's all going to point to Jesus, but he hasn't finished yet. My real point today is this, that I think it's time for us to become amazed at Jesus again. And if you put your hand up and said, I've been a Christian 20 years, well, I celebrate with you. If you're not a Christian, if you're not following Jesus, I encourage you to say yes to Jesus. It's the greatest yes you can ever give. We had a wedding here yesterday and a couple of people were saying yes to each other for the rest of their lives. It's an exciting day. But it's even more exciting to say yes to Jesus because that lasts for eternity. Marriage lasts for life. And salvation lasts for eternity. And that's exciting, isn't it? And I want us to become amazed at Jesus again. As we look at this passage, this eight days later passage, this bit about Jesus going up a mountain, I believe actually that the practical application for us today that will affect Monday onwards is if we can become amazed at Jesus again. If we can look and gaze at him and be changed and transformed. A few practical things about this passage to note. Jesus predicts his... his, uh, Peter has a revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus predicts his death. Then talks about coming again. And then there's a gap. It's not a gap in the Bible. It goes from verse 27 to verse 28. But at the beginning of verse 28, it says this, about eight days after Jesus said this. So he's talked about his death. He's talked about coming back again and he makes people wait eight days. Have you noticed that sometimes it seems as though God's gone a bit quiet? Ever noticed that? It's just me. No, few of us have. But sometimes it seems as though God's gone a bit quiet. And, and this 
I think occasion is one of the reasons why God does that. He lets it sink in sometimes. Sometimes God lets the last thing he said sink in. And sometimes it takes a while. Because if you've got a brain like mine, it leaks. People say when you get old, you get to the top of stairs and forget why you're there. I've been doing that for years. My brain leaks. And, And God... You're confused where the stairs are. Paul, you need prayer, mate. Is that because you live in a bungalow? No, it's not. Um, but we leak and we, we forget and we get distracted and other stuff comes in. And sometimes that revelation that God gives, we, we parcel it up as an experience. And experiences with God are great, but sometimes we can just want another experience and another experience and another experience. And we disconnect. That's because we disconnect the revelation from the experience. We disconnect the purpose of the, rev- the experience from the experience itself. And we just go, well, that felt great. I'll have another one, please. And I think that's what's happening through the Gospels as people are coming near Jesus and they're excited and they're seeing healings and they're seeing the dead raised and they're seeing blind eyes opening and they're seeing demons cast out. And it's just amazing. And they're going, wow, that was great. Let's have another one. Let's have another one. Let's have another one. A bit like on Netflix when you, you, watch, you start watching a program and, oh, there's 10 seconds, your next one's coming up. Oh, I'll watch that one then. And then maybe it's a week till the next episode's released. Well, I'll wait for that then. And there's kind of, well, it felt good. I'll just have the next one. And, and it's just an experience that's going on and repeated and repeated and repeated. And before you know it, you've watched an entire series of something that felt okay at the time and you get to the end and it's all right. But, but when Jesus is revealing himself, there's an experience coupled with revelation. And it's not just enough to seek another experience if we haven't made the most of the revelation. And Jesus is here revealing himself. And when he speaks, sometimes God allows it to sink into our minds. And at other times, he's waiting for us to do what he said. Because often the revelation comes with a command and Uh, And what I find in my own life is when God appears to have gone a little bit quiet, I can look back in the journal I keep of some of the times God speaks, and I look back and there was actually something quite important that I wrote down. But I've moved on, and God hadn't. Because there's still some stuff I needed to do from the last thing that God said. So be excited about meeting with God, but do what he said, and get the most out of that experience. Let ourselves see what God wants to say. Only three people went up the mountain. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples, plus a group of women that were with him almost constantly, plus there were 72 that got sent on mission, plus there were thousands that just got fed, but only three went up the mountain. Jesus had an inner circle. Now, God doesn't show favoritism, but Jesus appears to have favorites. You have to reconcile those two yourself. God doesn't show favoritism or partiality. He doesn't forgive one and not forgive another just based on how he feels about them. It's based on something completely different. God doesn't give his grace to one and withhold it from another. But here, there are only three people who get this experience. And, and if you had to have a unique experience to be special with God, then only three people qualified. If it was all about the experience and not about the revelation, only three people got it, so only three people can actually know Jesus like this, and that's not the truth. Actually, the whole point was that these three would be transformed and that they would write this down and tell us about it and record it later. 
Not everyone needed to know then. There was a particular reason for that. But these guys were forerunners for us. You and I don't actually need to find the same mountain and go up the mountain and wait for Moses and Elijah to appear. We don't. Because these guys did it for us. We read about it and we have faith in Jesus and we see something different in Jesus today because of this story. We don't need to recreate it. And so again, just because the person sitting next to you has had an amazing experience doesn't mean that you're any less than they are in God's eyes. Listen to their experience. Gain the revelation from the experience and then enjoy it. Because that's why these guys had their experience with Jesus. It was so they could pass it on to others eventually and others could benefit from the revelation even though they didn't have the experience. I want you to notice that these three people were ordinary. Um, I think that might be the next. I don't know if I've got that here. No. Okay, the three people were ordinary. The Bible says that they were sleepy. It said that Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they'd become fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men there. Uh, we're not an impressive bunch. It, well, we are. I think we are. But we've heard some great stories of people going on mission. But to be honest, if we were to say, come on, let's take on the world, the world would look and laugh. But these three guys who were falling asleep at the most powerful moment that they will ever have witnessed in their lives. They didn't see the resurrection. They saw the fruit of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. They've never seen anything like this before. This is like those occasions in the Old Testament where people ran away going, no, we don't want to see your face. It's shining because we're scared. They're there on the mountain and Jesus is glowing. He's shining. He's radiant. They can see a tiny glimpse of the glory of God and of what Jesus will be like. They could see a tiny little bit of it and they're asleep. It encourages me that when I'm weak and foolish, when I feel inadequate, when I feel as though, why me, Lord? Use somebody else. In fact, God, I'm excusing myself for following you because I'm not up to the task. Somebody else better do it. That actually God uses ordinary, simple people like you and me. And like these guys here who were asleep. It's just possible that even when we focus on God's presence, we can miss the point. The story here, I'm going to go back to it actually so that you can see it in the text. Uh, it's at the top. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to the master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he did not know what he was saying. Now, this is not a moment of Peter being stupid. This is a moment of people be, Peter being clever. Peter was sleepy. He wakes up. He sees what's going on. And he says this thing about putting up shelters. Now, to us, we can, we can laugh at Peter because Peter's the impetuous, impulsive one. Peter's the one who gets out of the boat onto the water. Peter's the one who, who says all sorts of crazy things. But here, he's actually being really clever. See, Peter's noticed that there's something very powerful going on here. Peter's noticed that this is a, a holy place, a special place, a place of God's presence. And so he talks about putting up three shelters or booths or tabernacles, one for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He's recognizing that there's something holy and awesome about this time. And so he's reminded of the tabernacles in the Old Testament, 
or the tabernacle in the Old Testament. He's reminded of this, the, the feast of booze. He's reminded of the places of God's presence. And he's saying, well, this is one of them. Let's stay in this moment. But even in our brightest moments, when we're aware of what God's doing, we can still miss the point. Jesus' point wasn't that they should stay on top of the mountain, but that they should see a glimpse of something and be transformed. That they should see Jesus. It actually wasn't about the disciples. Now, I loved the brief moment of worship we had earlier where we just had, did you sense God's presence? Yeah, just got that sense of God. And I love that more and more and more. I'd love to stay in that space. But I would be a little bit like Peter if, if we remained only in that space. Because Peter's saying, this, this is good. This feels good. This is a holy moment. And, and we agree and we go, yes. And it's right as a church that we press into those times and have more of them. Absolutely. But there's also a life outside of meetings. There's a life outside of that, having a band following you around singing. Because actually you're going to go to work tomorrow. Some of you, I'm on holiday. I'm not going to go to work tomorrow, but some of you are going to go to work tomorrow. And you're going to have work stuff to deal with. And Steve and the band won't be there. Singing the songs as you're working. You won't necessarily sense the presence of God in the same way. But Jesus will still be with you. And that's why the revelation is important because the revelation remains when the experience isn't there. We also see in this passage that God is other. That God is other than us. We're made, there's a wonderful truth in Scripture that we're made in the image of God. That we resemble God. That there's something of God in us. That we, there's a connection between God and us. But God is still different. He's still God. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters of the living God when we come to Christ. We're, we're heirs of the King. We've got, we're adopted into his family, but he's still God and we're still not. The Bible says that we, when we get to see him face to face, we'll know him as we are known, but we still won't be God. And he is. And I love this story for the fact that it shows us how awesome God is. As Jesus comes down the mountain, there's a demon-possessed boy. The disciples can't get rid of the demon. Jesus just walks down, rebukes the demon, and gives the boy back to his, his dad. Nice and simple. Why? Because he's God. Why? Because he's empowered by God. Why? Because he's anointed. Why? Because he's full of the Spirit. Why? Because though we do many of the things Jesus did, we are not Jesus. I think it's time to be amazed by Jesus again. It took Peter some time to tell the story. The disciples were told not to reveal it until after the resurrection. But I just want to finish with this thought from Peter. Peter writes this years and years later. To Peter, one of the last books of the New Testament to written, he writes this. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Imagine Peter writing that. You see, he had that experience on the mountain, and, and it was an experience with a little bit of revelation, but then he doubted. 
And then he wondered what happened when Jesus died. And then Jesus rose again. And then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and gained in confidence. And years later, he's reflecting back on this story. And he's saying, I was there. I was there. And you see, now Peter can connect the dots because the experience is added to revelation. And he can see that actually Jesus is wonderful. And Peter, who goes to his death for his Savior, Peter, who's prepared to give everything he has at the end of his life, and the years before that, for the King of Kings, has been transformed by the revelation that happened on a mountain. I want to encourage us to be amazed at Jesus again. He is more glorious than we can imagine. He's more powerful than we can think. When we're amazed by Jesus, we listen to him. When we're amazed by Jesus, we're confident in him. When we're amazed by Jesus, we're confident in sharing our faith. Friends, it's all about Jesus. My prayer would be that we might become more and more amazed at him. I'd love to pray. Steve, would you bring the band back up? Thank you. Our time is nearly done. But we had a, a time earlier in God's presence where God was speaking across the room. I could see people praying together, and I believe that you, people were sharing words for each other. Take what God has said to you and put it into practice this week. But I want to pray that we would see Jesus more and more and more. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that you created everybody here. That no one is here by accident. Lord, I thank you that there's not one person's life in here which qualifies as a mistake. but that you love us and you created us. And I pray, Lord, for each of us that we would see you more and more. I pray that you would open our eyes to see how amazing you are, that we would see your glory. Lord, we don't need to go up that mountain. We thank you, though, that people did and have told us the story. We thank you, Lord, that we can see you today, that we can know you. And I pray that as you speak to us, through the Word of God, as you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, as you speak to us as we pray, as we walk, as we go to work, whatever it may be, that we would do what you say, that we would hang on to the revelation and we would let it transform our lives. Lord, don't let us just go from experience to experience, wanting another experience, but I pray that we might seek after you and be transformed as we do. In Jesus' name, amen.